All right, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is November 10th, 2020, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with Robert Kovach, who is in Elkhart, Indiana. Is that correct? No, 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 no. Elkhart's death to me. It's death to me politically. I'm in Mishawaka. Mishawaka, that's right. Okay. You're... Okay, my district was... Uh, uh, basically, uh, Mishawaka, Clay Township, eastern portion of South Bend, mm-hmm. two townships in Elkhart. Got it. Okay. And uh, so just so everyone's aware, we're doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. Uh, so first question, when and where were you born? I was born in St. Joseph County, Indiana, South Bend, Indiana, which is at the location where the University of Notre Dame is located. Okay. And what were your parents' names? My father was Rudolf Kovach Sr. My mother was Barbara Norris Kovach. Kovach is a Hungarian name. We are the Smiths of Hungary. Mm, okay. uh, it is ironic that my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, came from Hungary to work at Oliver Chilled Plow in South Bend as a blacksmith. Interesting. Wow. My other, my uh, maternal grandfather was Irish. My maternal grandmother was also Hungarian. Now, she also came from the old country, but she came uh, in her mother's belly. Her mother was pregnant with her. Oh, okay. So yeah. I have three quarters Irish and uh, one quarter, I'm sorry, three quarters Hungarian and one quarter Irish. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Uh, what were your parents' occupations? My father was a factory worker. He worked at Studebaker's. I don't know if you're familiar with Studebaker's or not, but they started making wagons. Uh, they made Civil War wagons. They made the hearse for hmm, okay. uh, Lincoln, and then they went to automotive, and they were the single largest employer uh, in the area. Wow, Okay. And when they went out of business, uh, he continued to work in the factory at fabricated steel. My mother was basically a homemaker. Uh, In her later years, she uh, worked in retail. Okay. Did you have any siblings? Yes. I had one brother. Uh, Rudy Jr., he, uh, too, was a factory worker. He worked at Studebaker's, and as they were about to close their doors, he went to work at Ball Band in uh, Mishawaka, which later became Uniroyal, and he worked there his entire working career as a millwright. Now, it's interesting uh, history of Ball Band. Uh, In this county, there are lots of immigrants, and the four 
dominant ethnic groups are Polish, Hungarian in South Bend, and some Serbian. And in uh, Mishawaka, Italian, and Belgian. Okay. So many, there were so many Belgians at Uniroyal that they nicknamed it the Belgian Shoe College, which was a, t- a term of endearment, not derision. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. How would you just... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I would say, uh, how would you describe your childhood? My what? Your childhood. Oh, my childhood was uh, uh, was very good. We were a union family. Uh, We we were not uh, the richest people in the neighborhood, and we lived in an ethnic neighborhood, and there was an ethnic church, Our Lady of Hungary, and uh, we were Catholic right across. Now, paternal side, we were Catholic. I'm sorry. Paternal side, we were Catholic. Maternal side, they were Methodist. But uh, uh, it was very strong ethnic uh, uh, neighborhood. Uh, my brother and I started at the Catholic school, and, and we decided we wanted to go to the public school. So we went to uh, Oliver School, which was in, in the early 50s, an integrated school. It was a K K through nine school and uh, a lot of good athletes there and a lot of ball was played, uh, baseball. We played in the park in the summer, basketball. I was not very good. My brother was a tremendous athlete uh, and play football in, in, in the park. And, and we'd make our own games. And uh, like I said, we weren't the richest people in the world, but uh we got along all right, and I would say uh, it was an average childhood, if there is such a thing. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Uh, who were the most influential people in your childhood? In my childhood, uh, now, what age are you talking about? My, my parents divorced when I was 12. Okay. And my mother remarried, and we moved to Mishawaka. Okay. <laughs> my brother and I were so attached to South Bend that for the first semester of that school year, he and I rode the city bus back and forth uh, to Oliver School. Wow. After one semester of that, uh, uh, we decided that uh, we needed to enter into Mishawaka, and it was one of the better things uh, uh, we did. Not that we uh, were disenchanted, which was with what was going on at Oliver School or the city of South Bend. Uh, we, we had just made contacts in, in Mishawaka, and, and we felt that uh, we, we could we could survive in, in the school system. <laughs> uh, when we moved to Mishawaka, as I said, I was 12. Now, this is going to get a little ahead because it was also political influence. There was a Shell gasoline station in the east end of Mishawaka, and we lived in the east end of Mishawaka. They had a Coke machine, and they sold candy, so... We would bop in and out of there, and uh, the bigger guys hung around there. 
Well, the guy who owned the station was Paul J. Chick Klein. And Chick Klein was a Mishawaka city councilman. And he hired me when I was 12 to wash cars uh, in the 50s. You washed them by hand and you dried them with a chamois. So he hired me to wash cars at his station. Being a city councilman, a lot of politicians hung out there. And they would come, the mayor, Joe Canfield, some city councilmen, uh, the county chairman, and they'd talk there around the counter, and, and I'd pump gas and, and run in so I could hear the discussion. And, and I asked Chick, I said, you don't care if I eavesdrop, do you? And he said, no, he didn't care if I eavesdropped. So that went on for a while, and then I, I started pumping gas, and I'd work, work in the evening. And we had a television, but uh, not much to watch. But his agenda for the council meeting would come in a packet, the ordinances, the information to back it up, and things like that. And... Uh, I said, Chick, you mind if I read that stuff? I hear you guys talking about it. You mind if I read it? He said, no, just don't get it greasy. And so I started reading it, and I got hooked. And he was, he was, one, he was one of the uh, people who influenced me. I had several teachers in social studies uh when i got to high school uh merle blue and david robertson uh who ramified my uh desire to dabble in government and uh, uh those were probably three of them uh there were other folks uh i i i don't recall there was a uh, a bachelor who lived uh, across the street from the gas station named James Stewart, who sort of looked out for us guys if we didn't have money to get into the football game. He, he had to float us alone or, or outright take us uh, to the game. But he also talked uh, about government and politics and contributing uh uh, to the neighborhood, and he, he was uh, a union steward at Dodge Reliance, so uh, we had, or I had, strong union uh, leanings because my father worked in a union shop, my uh, brother eventually worked in a union shop. When I, I taught school, uh, I belonged to the AFT until it was mandatory uh, to join the ISTA, which is a good group, but uh, uh, not a union. I was a, a union person when I, I first started, so uh, I'm getting a little off the track maybe for you, but uh, that influenced uh, my, uh, my decision. My grandfather... On my my mother's father worked at the New York Central, and of course uh, the railroad was highly union. So uh, 
I was exposed to that, and uh, as other representatives and senators have probably uh, told you, uh, their early experiences or their background influenced uh, positions they might take or votes they might cast uh, in the General Assembly. Yeah, okay. Does that answer it, Ben? Yeah, yeah, you definitely gave me a lot of good information. You answered extra questions. I rambled a lot there, though. That's okay. You answered uh, some other questions I was going to ask, so we don't have to do those now. Um, Okay. Now, uh, what were your views about the state of Indiana or about being a Hoosier growing up? Oh, my experience and knowledge of... uh, of Indiana wasn't uh, wasn't that great. I mean, I'd never been to the 500. I've, I I never traveled south. Uh, maybe Rochester, Indiana, <laughs> might have been the the farther south uh, I went. I, I had no uh, no real. I can't answer that. I had any real feelings. Okay. But, now, wait a minute, I'm not done. Uh, the first time I went to the Indiana State Fair is when I went to work for the lieutenant governor in uh, about 1993 or four. Uh, then when I went to the Department of Commerce and ran the Department of Commerce as executive director for almost three years, I found that Indiana had no image the farther you got away from Indiana, especially overseas, the less of an image uh, it had. Now, they knew about the 500 uh, in Japan because of uh, international drivers. They, uh, they knew about corn. They knew about Bobby Knight. They didn't know we were the number one steel-producing state. They didn't know we were the number one television-producing state with RCA in Bloomington, uh, Marion, and Indianapolis. Now they have their corporate headquarters on Meridian Street, even now that the French government has moved all their manufacturing, as far as I know, uh, to foreign countries. But uh, I never thought much uh, uh, about uh, the rest of uh, Indiana because I didn't travel much. If we traveled, we went to Chicago for a baseball game or we went to Detroit for a football game or Chicago for a football game. Uh, Spent a lot of time in Michigan on vacation fishing, just across the line in Michigan, 40, 45 miles away. Uh, We didn't go south. I didn't know much about uh, Indiana, but that changed dramatically uh, when I went to the Senate. I lived with more people and associated with more people from southern Indiana than I did uh, from northern Indiana. That's how I got associated with uh, Governor O'Bannon. I lived in uh, the Indianapolis Athletic uh, Club with Frank O'Bannon from Corridon. Bob Fair uh, didn't live there, but he was a frequent visitor uh, from Princeton. Bill Cochran, a state rep from uh, New Albany. And uh, so uh, I became associated 
uh, with folks in southern Indiana, and I'd already had some northern Indiana uh, connections, obviously, from my residency, so I was able to cover the state. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, now, did you attend college? Yes, I... Uh, in 1959, the fall of 1959, I went to Purdue University, which uh, I only went a year and a half. Okay. And now let me finish. The reason I went to, to Purdue was they just put Sputnik up, and there were a lot of people that said, Kovac, you're pretty good in math and science, and we need scientists, you need to go to Purdue. Well, Kovac really didn't want to go to <laughs> Purdue. <laughs> Kovacs wanted to be uh, a school teacher. He wanted to be a history teacher. Oh. He wanted to be a government teacher. So I go to Purdue for a year and a half, and I take my calculus, and I take my chemistry, I take my physics. I'm uh, not very happy, so mid-semester I drop out. And I go to Ball State. Ball State was on a quarter system. So I lost a quarter. I went to Ball State. I finished three years. I ran out of money. I laid out a year and worked. I made enough money that year to go back and finish my senior year and stayed for my master's because at that time in Indiana, uh, you had to have a master's started within five and finished within 10, plus it impacted uh, your position on the pay scale. So I said, what the hell, I might as well stay and get it out of the way. And that's what, that's what I did. So I uh, got my undergraduate in education and I got my master's in my subject area, English and social science, not, uh, not education. Okay, interesting. Now, how did you view your college experiences at the time? <laughs> how did I view them? Yeah. Uh, all, all, all study. I, okay. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't have uh, much latitude on money, so I couldn't do great and wondrous things, you know. So Yeah. Uh, uh, I would go to the football games. I would go... Uh, to the basketball games. I played some intramurals. Uh, I officiated uh, intramurals. And uh, Don Shondell at uh, Ball State, who put volleyball on the map in Indiana, his children, his offspring, uh, continue to do it. Uh, let me officiate uh, some of the freshmen uh basketball games because freshmen couldn't play varsity at that time so I could make a few bucks uh, officiating in the Merles but I spent most of my time uh, uh, studying uh, I don't know I don't know <laughs> yeah no, it, wasn't, it wasn't the most exciting uh, uh, part of life, but it wasn't all drudgery. I don't want to make it sound uh, that way. I mean, Ball State had lots of good professors in the social science department and uh, the English department. I also worked 
at a gas station uh, for Dr. Sutton, uh, who was one of my profs in the English department, who uh, who always treated me well. Now he didn't give me gifts, but he uh, he treated me well. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, so what in what ways did your awareness of politics change as you got older and you went to college? Uh, they, they didn't change too much okay. because I had a good grounding. I had a good grounding more so than the average college student at the beginning. Yeah. Now, you remember I told you there were people that came into that gas station Yep. Uh, and there and there was one named Richard Clay Bodine. You ever hear that name in your um, legislative? I uh, I think so, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He ran for governor. He was one of the top four speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Ever in the history of the state of Indiana. Yep. I'm working at that gas station one night. And Bodine comes in, he's a lawyer, a nice young lawyer, handsome man, one of the smartest legislators I've ever met in my life. He comes in, he says, you got a stamp I can have? I says, a big time lawyer like you, why are you bumming a stamp? He's all, oh, just give me a stamp. So I gave him a stamp and he mailed in his declaration of candidacy. <laughs> for the General Assembly. He never lifted a finger. He got nominated and elected. Wow. That's when St. Joe County uh, elected four Bs and an F. They, they ele elected Bauer, Barkley, Bodine, Barber, and Frick. The, the, the electorate voted the alphabet. <laughs> And Bodine, he didn't like alphabet voting, although he was a benefactor of alphabet voting. He put in a bill in the past to rotate the names on the ballot. And, you know, that's another pearl uh, that I learned. Now, he and I talked a lot. The other part of that connection was uh, his mother... His mother served on the city council uh, with me, and she might have been the first woman uh, elected to a council in Mishawaka. We had a woman mayor who I eventually beat when I came back from the Senate. But uh, Mrs. Bodine, Dick's mother, was on the, uh, uh, the council, and uh, so... We talk, he and I talked a lot, she and I talked a lot. So when, when, when I went to, uh, I, I didn't change much, I, I, I don't think. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't become uh, more cynical or, or anything. Uh, you know, you read about Calvin, you read about Hobbes, you, you know, you read about those people, you read the Federalist Papers, you get some grounding, okay? But I'm not on the Supreme Court, and I'm not in Washington, and my original orientation was with Councilman and a mayor, and so 
I'm worried about zoning and budgeting and police and fire and those kinds of things. And my history with bills in the General Assembly will reflect that, and we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. That's the best I can do with my limited ability. I understand. No problem. Uh, what were your career aspirations out of college? Well, to teach school. Just as, okay. Now, when you when did you become? You became a part of the Indiana General Assembly in '74. So, how long were you a teacher before you joined the Indiana General Assembly? I started Assembly? teaching in '60 '65. Uh, okay. Now I was a city councilman. Yeah. I got elected city councilman in '67. Right. Okay. I was pretty young. I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I got elected councilman at large. And uh, that's why, that's part of my chronology. I'm still hanging around that gas station because I'm still living in the East End, okay? Okay. And Kit Klein got his ass waxed in the, the election before. Democrats had always controlled the city of Mishawaka. We were a city of the third class, and we had seven councilmen. You elected five by district, and then the next five, two highest vote-getters were at large, so they had seven councilmen. So all the Democrats got wiped out, the mayor, the clerk, and all the councilmen. So I'm hanging around the station. I'm teaching school and, and coaching football at a K through eight school. I'm teaching English and social studies. And a guy was going to run for third district councilman. I'm not going to name him because he's still alive and a hell of a nice guy. He's probably a hundred, but he was going to run for third district councilman. And the boys at the gas station said, we can't have him, we can't have him. Kovach, why don't you run? I said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't married. I'm teaching school. And I thought about it. First, I didn't want to. And then the more I thought about it, the more I said, hell yes. So I decided I was going to run. In the meantime... In the meantime, a candidate that was agreeable <laughs> to the boys at the gas station decided to run, and I had the bug, so I said, well, I'll file for councilman at large. Uh, there were two of us. You nominate two. And there were nine of us in the primary. There were nine of us in the primary. There were nine of us in the primary, and... Uh, I ran second in the primary, hmm, okay. so I got the nomination. Then in the general election, uh, the guy who beat me in the primary, he didn't win, but I did. Yeah. And three, three Democrats won, so there were three Democrats. And I gave the mayor nightmares because uh, there were a lot of things uh, going on that shouldn't have been going on. So I decided to run, and I'm getting ahead of my chronology here. We're going to have some blanks to fill in. But uh, 
I decided to run for re-election to see if the first time was a fluke. I'm serious. I'm wow. not bullshitting you. Not bullshitting you. And I was the leading vote-getter in the city. Wow. So I become president. Uh, we got control of the council. So I become president of, of the council, and Mrs. Bodine is serving uh, with me. And I had to really talk to her to get her vote for the president, and I, she was the deciding deciding vote. I, I think Dick might have had something to do with it. Hell, I don't know. But anyway, I'm serving my second term on the council. And as I said yesterday, uh, Bowen passes the sales tax. Two Democrats, Bob Mahold, uh, from the Senate seat that I lived in, and Jimmy Plaskett, uh, from southern Washington, Indiana, Davies County, he voted for it. So the unions and others were really pissed at Mahol. They wanted a candidate to run against him. I was not the first choice by a long, long shot. Uh, they asked a couple guys before they asked me, and they turned them down, and they asked me, and and I turned them down, and then I guess they they came from the bottom back up, and I said, "What the hell have I got to lose?" So I jumped in, and I beat my hold uh, in the primary. I don't even know what the numbers were, but it wasn't a squeaker. I was lucky enough uh, to beat him. And then I ran against uh, Bill Bontrager from Elkhart. Mm, okay. His dad was a Indiana State Senator for 16 years, D. Russell Bontrager, David Russell. I think it was. He went D. Russell. He was an Indiana State Senator for 16 years. Uh, he ran for the United States Senate, and uh, he got beat by Hartke. It was not the best uh, district, and I'm not complaining about that, but I won, and I won because of Watergate. I do not suffer from any delusions of grandeur. I won because of Watergate. Wow, yeah. Okay? I, was, I have been the last Democrat to hold that uh, seat. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's, that is amazing. Yeah, that's, wow. And I got beat the very next election. I uh, ran the next election against Dan Mannion, whose father was head of the Mannion Forum and one of the first... Uh, John Birchers and right-wingers, radio program, very wealthy family, had given property to a uh, nice guy, Dan Banyan. Dan and I uh, got along pretty well, but he wouldn't debate me. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, he, he beat me. And 
there were reasons I lost. We'll talk about those later. Uh, there's significant reasons, but uh, that's how we we're, we're, we're hustling along here. I don't know what else you want to talk about unless you want to pursue that and, and fill it in somewhere else. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'll get to that, I think. It shouldn't be a problem. Um, I want to ask, actually, about your family real quick. Uh, when did you get married? When did I get married? Gee, I don't uh, remember the exact date. Uh, <laughs> it was after I started teaching a couple years. I was a city con. I don't remember the exact date. Okay. But my first wife died. Okay. Uh, now, did you have any children? Yes, I I have uh, two daughters and two stepsons. Okay. I've remarried. Right. I can remember that 25 years. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> How did uh, your family influence your political career? How, uh, they didn't. They didn't, okay. They didn't. They didn't. My grandma... Uh, my maternal grandma drugged me to see Harry Truman when he was speaking off the back of his trains, you know. Oh, wow. And uh, we, her house was close to Union Station in South Bend, so we walked down Michigan Street. I remember it as if it were yesterday. And we listened to him while, we spoke, while he spoke. And I... We went home, and I don't—I I, I must not even been ten or eleven. Hell, I don't know. I said, "Grandma, why are we Democrats?" Because you know Truman's a Democrat there. Yeah. And she says, "Well, your grandpa works on the railroad, you know, and he never got a fifty-dollar a week paycheck until Roosevelt." <laughs> and I just love that man, and he's a Democrat. <laughs> Wow. So that's the only only outward influence. Now, I always got tremendous support from my dad, my mother, and my brother. But they never said, you know, you better do this, you better do that, or anything of that nature. My brother only said, you better not lose or I'm kicking your ass, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he, he, he was an athlete. He was a competitor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't sitting in on the strategy sessions. He's out doing the grunt work, putting up signs and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was a competitor. Uh, what was your first election day like, and how did you feel? <laughs> what was my first election day like yeah uh you remember jim stewart i told you about the bachelor out at the gas station yeah i remember it he picked me up before six o'clock we went to the best bakery in town they had a big uh yearn of coffee uh and jim stewart got some donuts and i went around to the polling places and talked to uh, the workers and a few voters, and I spent all day uh, visiting the polls. My dad w 
was at the Di Loreto Club, which was the Italian club on the north side. And uh, I lived on the south side, and I didn't belong to that club. I belonged to the Italian club on the south side, the Diamichis Club. Hmm. And uh, everybody said, boy, your dad's turning out the votes. Your dad's turning out the votes. I said, well, that's good. It's a bonus. Then I went to the Belgian club, and they told me that there was about 900 votes in the place and that I had 700 of the 900. So, and I didn't know for sure, but I felt good. Yeah. I felt good. And, I mean, that's it. I went to, to the party. Uh, I don't know if we had it at headquarters or a club. I don't remember. But... Uh, the votes came in, and, and, and I won. Interesting. All right. Now, what were you thinking as you walked into the State House for your first official day in office? I was in awe. I was in awe. <laughs> yeah. What am I doing here? I, didn't, I never planned on being there. When I was a city councilman, I was strongly considering running uh, for mayor the very next year. Uh, I don't know. It, it, I was humbled, really. I mean, people say that, but you better believe me because it's the truth. And uh, I, I was humbled, I guess. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, that makes sense. What were your expectations for the legislative process when you first got started? <laughs> well, I expected to do something. I expected <laughs> to, to pass some bills. Yeah. I, ex I expected to make some contributions. Yeah. Uh, I didn't expect to set the world on fire yeah. because I'm going to tell you something. And here again, I'm getting off my pearls. But you remember when I said Bowen passed the sales tax, yeah. the unions weren't too happy, okay? And one of the prime recruiters was a man named Phil Crum. He was the district man for the United Auto Workers Local 5. And he lobbied for the UAW, so he was familiar with the legislature. Hmm. His kid now is an appellate court judge, Gary Crone. His wife, who is now deceased, was a county commissioner in St. Joe County. So Phil Crone, I called him crotchety, and he called me crotchety. He thought we that I was crotchety. He was way more crotchety than I was. <laughs> he gave me some good advice. He said, Kovac, and most people call me Kovac because there aren't too many Kovaches moving around in Indianapolis. Uh, said, Kovac, he said, you better do a lot of listening and absorbing. He said, what you do, what you do, is you find three or four or five or six people who think you know the system 
latch on to them and ask them all the questions you can ask them if you don't understand something and ask them questions if you think you understand something. <laughs> well, that was the best advice uh, I got. I latched on to L.B. Lundquist, like I said. I latched on to Adam Benjamin, who went to Congress. I don't know if you've heard of Adam Benjamin in your uh, interviews. Uh, not much, actually. Yeah. Well, then, then that's an injustice. Yeah. He one, he one of the smartest people I ever dealt with, and I have stories about him after my term in the Senate and so forth. I last latched on to Lundquist. Benjamin, Hoop Kelly, just because he was a Republican senator from Mishawaka. Bodine was there. I latched on to Bodine. I latched on to Frank O'Bannon because we lived together at the uh, Indianapolis Athletic Club. And uh, I probably had one or one, one or two, uh, one or two others. But, yeah. Uh, and I, I did what Crotchety told me. I just asked questions. The other thing I did was learn the rules. Because in the legislature, you have to do, in the Senate, not the House. They may have changed, I don't know. But in the Senate, you had to do everything by written motion. Right. And I had every conceivable written motion in my desk And the reason I did that was if Joe Day from Evansville or uh, Pat Terrell from Bloomington wanted a motion, I had one. Yeah. And as soon as I gave it out, I had my staff person make another one. And very few people unless they asked for it, knew I had those motions uh, in there. But I had every conceivable written motion. Now, if you look at my legislation in 1975, you're not going to see anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're going you're to see a couple House bills that people sent over. Uh, you're going to see one bill I had, with, and I don't have them in front of me now. They're on the table here, but I'm not looking at them. One with Phil Gutman and uh, maybe one with Hoop Kelly, I don't know. But I probably don't have my name on more than five bills. But something interesting happened, and I, to this day, am not sure why it happened. But <clears throat> a county commissioner in St. Joe County and a a prominent businessman wanted to establish a county park. And uh, it was high on their agenda, and it was high on the county's agenda. And they wanted some state money, and no state money had ever gone to a county park. And somehow my name ended up, I mean, it's not in the budget, but my name's associated with that half a million dollars uh, in the in the budget. Hmm, okay. That made that, that that made my session. I mean, that made my session. Yeah. Then also, also, the uh, 
Northern Indiana Transportation District, the South Shore, first broke away uh, from from the freight, and they needed money. And I got my name associated with that half million in in the budget. So I get a million bucks in there for two causes. I'm happy as hell. (laughs) But no legislation. No legislation. Now the next next year's a short session and even less legislation. But seventy seven and seventy eight all hell breaks loose because I'm the majority caucus chair. Yeah. See all those bills? Yeah. <laughs> huh? Yeah. My list is better than your list. I before you even contacted me for uh, I got from the Legislative Service Agency uh, information from this, my time in, 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 in the Senate. Excellent. So, okay. Wow. <laughs> even before you contacted me. Perfect. I'm glad. That's, that's great. Yeah, not enough people do that, to be honest. <laughs> Who? I said not enough people do that. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a cool thing to have. Um, yeah, I was, All right, let's, let's keep going. Okay. Um, so, how did you know the needs and wants of your constituents? Start over, say that again. Uh, how did you know the needs and wants of your constituents? By being close to them. Okay. Being close to them, listening uh, to them. One bill I passed, uh, for example, just to give you an example is uh, scholarships for nursing students in non-four-year degree programs. Hmm. Because if you were a nursing student at our hospital, it didn't take you four years, but the way the statute was written, you couldn't get any scholarship money. Kovach took care of that. Yeah. Wow. Riley High School, Riley High School needed band uniforms. <laughs> Don't laugh now, Ben. Needed band uniforms. Uh, you couldn't purchase band uniforms with uh, tax money. You had to have bake sales and candy sales, and Riley High School wasn't having enough candy sales or bake sales. So I put in a bill. My friend Sody or Sody L.D. Lundquist is chairman of the education committee. I'm on the education committee. I go to L.D. I say, L.D., I know this is a far-fetched bill. We're setting some kind of precedent here for a little no-account bill. He reads it. He says, you know, I represent Elkhart, Indiana, and Elkhart, Indiana is the band instrument capital of the world we're going to pass this bill (laughs) (laughs) and we pass paramutual for example that wasn't one of my bills but uh, to have the lottery you had to deal with paramutual and paramutual was on an advisory referendum and uh, it didn't pass in my district. Now, if I had to vote for Kovach, I would have voted for Paramutual. 
So I consistently voted against paramutual. A bunch of folks said, your constituents have changed. I said, well, I'm not hearing that. If they have, it's, it's awful close. Hmm. So a couple folks agreed uh, to finance a legitimate poll, not, you know, do you favor, but a scientific poll. And it narrowly came back in favor of paramutual, narrowly. Wow. And I trusted the poll. So when Bowen vetoed it, uh, the last vote on uh, paramutual, I voted to override the veto, and it passed. Now that endeared me to Larry Boris for a while. Yeah. The father <laughs> of paramutual. Did you talk to Larry, or was he dead? Um, I did not talk to Larry. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's still around. Yeah. No, he's, he's passed on. Yeah, okay, so I, I definitely didn't talk to him then. Well, you probably heard a lot about him. Yes. Though, yeah, people bring him up a lot, so I'm familiar with Maybe him. Maybe he's but... a powerhouse. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I endeared myself. Okay. Uh, so do you remember the first bill you sponsored? No. Okay. No, it was probably no count. Uh, yeah. Uh, I can go back and look at that 75 stuff. No, that's okay. It might have been full-time judges. It might, it might have been uh, school buses for 4-H. Yeah. You know. What were the interlac interactions like between the majority and minority parties? Well, this, I always said, and it pissed people off, that the only function of the Senate was to protect the governor. Okay. And they, uh, prior to me being there, when Bowen passed the uh, sales tax, Borst and Gutman and several others uh, weren't his bosom buddies. That's why he needed two Democrat votes. But as soon as the Democrats uh, had a little oomph, I, I think they decided that their uh, mission was to protect the governor. Yeah. Now, uh, Orr was also uh, presiding over the Senate when I was there, and I had pretty good rapport with Orr. Uh, I think it was a little different. Uh, uh, there wasn't much viciousness. There wasn't much... Uh, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I, I do remember Bob Fair, who was uh, the minority leader, uh, was going to cut their ass on uh, uh, some property tax stuff. And you know, he, he went and told them, now, on a point of personal privilege today, I'm going to rip you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that, Ben. That's okay. Uh what was the relationship like between Democrats and Republicans in general? Uh, everybody knew their place, I guess. Okay. <laughs> did, did people uh, get along pretty well? Yeah. Uh, personally? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let, me, uh, let me tell you about the, uh, 
when we passed the gas tax when the Democrats were in the majority, okay? Okay. There's there, there no question that we needed a gas tax increase. And we were gravitating toward the point where, not like it is today, where votes are 30-second commercials and you put in amendments or you move bills for 30-second commercials. Uh, there was some of that, but not to the extent there is now. So, you know, if you, you pass a, ga- a tax increase, that's death. You know, they're the party of the tax increases. Yeah. So we, we needed a tax in a gas tax increase. So I'm the caucus chairman, and in caucus we we go through our roster and we pick out people who can't lose the election no matter what happens, and we pick out people who aren't running for election, and we came up with X amount of votes. I don't remember how many there were. But I physically, I physically walked into the Republican caucus and Bob Garten was the caucus chairman and he and I had great rapport the whole time Hmm. I was in the Senate and the whole time I did legislative work. Bob Garten, there's a true gentleman. And I told him, Bob, you want a gas tax? We need a gas tax come up with the balance of uh, 26 votes and we're going to get one. Well, that's what they did. Interesting. Uh, Joe Harrison and I, Joe Harrison and I were probably as diametrically opposed if you wanted to assign a political philosophy to us. And I, I, I don't have I'm not assigned any. I'm probably a social liberal and a uh, fiscal conservative. But uh, we passed a legal settlement bill uh, for school school districts, a very complicated bill. Uh, you don't need it anymore because you can go to any school you want to, but, or a district you want to, take the money and run, I call it. <laughs> But anyway, uh, we passed that bill when I was in the minority and he was in the majority. And then, then when I'm the caucus chairman, there we got a, a, a bunch of sort of progressive uh, Democrats after Watergate that were hell-bent to do uh, lobbyist reform. I had no interest, none at all, in lobbyist reform, and Bob Fair is the uh, president pro tem, and I used to call him the head hog, but with endearment. Uh, he said, Kovach, it's your day in the barrel. You're carrying this bill. I said, I don't want to carry this bill. I don't <laughs> like this bill. I, I wouldn't even vote for this bill. He said, Kovach, you're the caucus chairman. I'm the pro tem. You're carrying this bill. Frank uh, deferred on leadership. O'Bannon uh, become chairman of Senate Finance, and I went to see him, and he said, "Kovach, you're, you're carrying the bill." I said, "Okay." So I carried the bill, and Joe Harrison was assigned from their side. 
that thing got amended so bad. I really didn't even want to vote for it, but somebody had to carry it. Joe Harris jumped off with a nice speech on the floor uh, about, you know, I'm not staying on a bill I'm going to vote against. You know, Kovach and I worked diligently and we couldn't, and it passed the Senate, but it didn't go, didn't even get a hearing in the House. I'm sure, well, I'm not going to say who killed it, but uh, uh, it didn't even get a hearing in the House. So Joe and I got along. Now, he, he was from Attica. He had kids that went to Culver Military Academy, which is sort of close to my house. You know where it is? Um, vaguely, yes. Well, it's closer to my house than to Joe's house. Okay. And one Sunday, he calls me up and he said, my daughter lost her car keys. She doesn't know what to do. Can you drive down and help her? So Kovac drives down and helps her, you know. Yeah. That's what you do, right? Hmm. Yeah. Now, he, he he butchered me on some bills. I had a bill, for example, uh, for treble, treble damages uh, if contractors and employers didn't pay uh, uh, benefits to their workers that were uh, contractually negotiated, you know. Right. I mean, he owned a foundry, <laughs> you know, and that passed after I left. It surprised the hell out of me, but uh, John Buscemi, I don't know, he's a miracle man, uh, he passed it uh, after I left. Now, are most people you talk to as colloquial as I am, or are they formal? And, um, I think mostly people are pretty relaxed. I, I don't think I get too many people that are too worried about, uh, you know, trying I to... Don't want, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. No, no, that's fine. I, I've definitely had people that are, are are even more outspoken than you are, so... Okay. You're not going to tell me who they are, are you? Uh, <laughs> well, you can listen to the interviews and find out. <laughs> They're on the website. I will, I will. All right, let's keep going. Um... Let's see. So, now, how was the legislative business conducted outside of formal votes and committee meetings? Say that again. How was legislative business conducted outside of formal votes and committee meetings? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you sit around your room or you sit around the caucus room or uh, you meet with a group of, of people and you come up with ideas or 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 so forth uh, I never spoke much on the floor oh okay uh, you're gonna find that uh, ironic with all those bills I had in 77 and 78 I never spoke much on uh, the floor. I would go around to the desk, you know, up in the office area. Yeah. And talk to those folks, or I would uh, I would talk uh, to them on the floor while somebody was long-winded. But in the day uh, when I was there, you lived closer together. You lived closer together. There were fewer apartments. There were fewer hotels. 
you lived closer together. You were at the Athletic Club, you were at the uh, Columbia Club, you were at the Hilton. In fact, you're going to find this hard to believe, but if you went back on Sunday night, there were only three restaurants with within easy driving distance of downtown. Wow. The top of the Hilton, Sam Subway, which they tore down, and the Jean May at about 1600 North Meridian. You went to the lobbyist hospitality rooms. The Teamsters had a room. Uh, oh, hell, the beer distributors had a room. I don't know who else. We had card games for a while until Bainbridge said we couldn't play anymore. But he was the speaker. Yeah. Asshole. Uh, but you talked a lot there, too. You know, I got this bill. I got this idea. You know, you got a piece of crap. You know. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of that. We were closer together. Uh, we knew each other's family. Uh we knew more about them personally, I guess, is what I would say. Right. Okay. Now, when people were voting, did you have a pretty good idea of how people would vote before they actually voted? Yeah, when I was caucus chairman, I better know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before, I, I didn't count. <laughs> now, if it was my bill, I'd count, obviously. Hell yes. Right, right. I mean... Uh, th th that's a good story, too. Uh, John Sinks, he was a school counselor from Fort Wayne, Indiana, solid as a rock, uh, good American. I had a bill with him to close the schools on election day. And we had 18, 19 points, you know, learn about democracy, polling place, make them available to work, all this crap. And we put it on the calendar, and uh, we got it out of committee, easy, and put it on the calendar. We start counting our votes. We couldn't get, get past 16 votes. <laughs> we thought we had a good bill. We left it on the calendar, and then while they were doing conference committees uh, at the end, and we weren't taking up time from something that needed time, uh, we called the bill, and we got our 16 votes. <laughs> wow so you counted votes yeah yeah some could count better than others <laughs> <laughs> yeah that happens <laughs> yeah uh what would you say the public doesn't know about how the indiana general assembly operates you gotta be in leadership to be effective okay that's why i ran for caucus chairman yeah Okay. I watched, I watched, and leadership was getting everything it wanted. Mm, okay. So they control the narrative, basically. Well, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yep. Yeah. That's one thing. Uh, I, I don't know what else to, uh, I could probably come up with a, a lot of things. Uh, yeah. In some cases, they there's not a broad and I'm not condemning it because it's getting worse. The media coverage stinks. Yeah. Okay? You can't, I couldn't read about the Indiana General Assembly in my local paper 
unless the senator uh, shot somebody, you know. Wow. No, I'm serious. Yeah, that's crazy. I read the Star. I read the Star every day. Yeah. I used to read the New York uh, Times, and I used to used to read the St. Louis Democrat, those papers. Once in a while, the Gary Post Tribune, but uh, the public really doesn't have comprehensive big picture. Yeah. Okay. But you you got to be in leadership to get anything done. That's uh, that's the most important thing. Yeah. So why do you think that uh, the public seems to be sort of out of touch with what's happening in the local government? Why are they out of touch? Yeah. Well, because they get distorted information and they don't get enough of the right information. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't turn on Farce Book if it was the only source of information. Yeah. 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 Notice I said Farce book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, yeah, all sorts of things could be floated out there and for people to you pick do, up. You, you do nothing, you do nothing in depth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what were the most controversial legislative issues during your time in the Assembly? My time? Yeah. Annexation. Okay. And uh, that probably uh, cost me uh, my re-election. One of the two, two things that cost me my re-election. Wow. Uh, yes. Having been a city councilman, understanding the needs of cities probably as well as anyone in the General Assembly, there was a nasty annexation bill that was of no use, no value to anyone, that has subsequently been repealed, I voted against it. Hmm. A large portion of my district was Clay Township, and you can look it up on the north end of uh, South Bend, and I carried it heavily when I had won, and I got my ass waxed there when I ran for re-election. That's one. The other thing that helped was Elkhart, motorhome capital, RV capital of the world, had a bill that said local governments could not zoned against double wides. If there is one issue, having been a city councilman for seven years, that local government should control is zoning. Hmm. And, I, and I voted against it. Hmm. Yeah, well, I used to vote, you ask about my constituents. The first thing you got to do is, is vote your conscience. Yeah. There are not that many conscionable issues. Textbook censorship would be one for me. You know, offhand, I can't think of any others. Then you, you vote your constituency. Yeah. Then 
you vote your caucus. Then you vote your club. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But the, the one that, that really killed me was <laughs> the first time I ran, 18-year-old vote, or I'm sorry, 18-year-old drinking was an issue. And Notre Dame students were hustling up to Michigan because Michigan had 18-year-old drinking. Hmm. And I went, I went on campus. I told them I'm voting for it. I said, if Michigan didn't have it, I wouldn't vote for it. I mean, I get in trouble because I tell you the truth. But <laughs> I'm voting for it. They came out in droves. <laughs> yeah. And then it was no longer an issue. And I think I got 10 votes the next time. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. And I really wanted to go back to the Senate. I enjoyed it. I liked it. Uh, a lot of good people there. One of the best experiences in my life. Not only an opportunity to, to serve and make a small contribution. I mean, I became friends uh, with a future governor and fine gentleman and his family. I met other folks. Uh, you know, interested in bettering the state, and I really liked it. Yeah. And I came home. <laughs> Ran for mayor the very next year. Be the 16-year incumbent, I told you, Phil Goopman's mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go, Ben. Uh, what legislation did you work on that took the most time? Took the most equal rights amendment. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that, that wasn't my bill. I worked it as caucus chairman. Yeah, yeah. And that's a long, long story. <laughs> What's the summary version of it? Well, Indiana's the last state to pass the equal rights amendment legally. Yeah. I think some states passed it after the... Uh, time limit expired. All the big wigs were down here in Indiana. Phyllis Shafley, uh, uh, Rosalind Carter, I mean everybody was here. We had just enough votes with two Republicans to pass it. Bob Garton was one. I don't remember who the other one was. But they, they, there were a lot of shenanigans. Uh, we were going to vote on it on a Friday, and the, the uh, Repubs were putting in all kinds of amendments, and, and you know, and we had to beat them back, and they were putting in resolutions off of the, uh, the, the resolution. It was a resolution. And it got late on a Friday, and there's one thing you don't do is you don't keep legislators late on a Friday. Yeah, they'll, they'll vote against you just because they don't want to get in the traffic going home. So <laughs> I talked with Bob Fair, the pro tem, and I talked with the sponsors, and we said, well, we're, we're going to fold the tent. So we come back on Monday, and we're going to vote on it. I think, uh, I don't know if it was Tuesday or what, but there was a, a senator who was a Notre Dame graduate from Notre Dame named Matt Kerger. He came up to me at the Hilton. There was a function at the Hilton. He said, Bob, he was, he was crying. 
they're almost crying. He said, Bob, I can't vote for the Equal Rights Amendment. I said, well, you told me you were, Matt, and I counted your vote, and we just got enough. He said, well, you know, I'm a good Catholic, and they were passing out leaflets at all the Catholic churches in my area tying the Equal Rights Amendment to abortion. I said, well, I'm disappointed in the Catholics. I said, how about if Father Hesper told you it was all right to vote for the Equal Rights Amendment? So, you know, being from South Bend, Notre Dame, I had contacts numerous with Father Hesburgh, so I had his phone number. So I called Father Hesburgh from a phone booth in the basement of the Hilton, and I told him about Matt Kerger, and I said, will you talk to him? He said, sure, be glad to. So I said, here, Matt, talk to Father Hesburgh. Well, first he didn't even believe me, but then he he believed me, and he must have talked to him for 40 minutes. He come out, and he just smiled like a Chester cat. He said, I'm going home, lock myself in, or going to my hotel room and lock myself in so nobody can get to me. <laughs> I said, okay, that mean you're going to vote for it? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, came time to vote, and uh, he voted for it, and it passed just with the the votes that uh, that we had counted, uh, two or three, or I don't know how many Democrats. I, I know a couple of them voted against it, uh, but they support this on the procedural stuff. So Phyllis Shapley, she got a lot of press. Uh, uh, Rosalind Carter got a lot of press. Uh, Birch Bayh got a lot of press. His staff got a lot of press. So my local reporter, Jack Caldwell, who's a damn good reporter, now he's, he writes a column for the op-ed page. He's basically retired. He came up to me and he said, did you talk to Father Hesburgh? I said, about what? He says, uh, the Equal Rights Amendment. I said, well, I've talked to him about it. Yeah, I've talked to him about it. He said, you talked to him about it lately? I said, well, I think Father Hesburgh ought to speak for himself. He didn't bat an eyeball. Reporter calls him, he tells me. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kircher said, uh, when they talked to him, He's trying to save face, in my opinion, and I like Matt Kircher. See, this is what I, I really don't want out, trying to save face. But he says, no, I, he wasn't the deciding factor. Well, I wish the public could have viewed him, you know. <laughs> and uh, I got a letter. I have a letter from Hesper uh, referring to, to that instant. So I'm not making it up. Yeah. Wow. I don't make stuff up. Yeah, I understand. I hope you do. You think I've made anything up? <laughs> no, nope. Uh, uh, I haven't heard anything so far that I think you made up. <laughs> now, if you want to talk about my bills, I've had some some good bills. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Well, I was the original author of Tiff and Abatement. Hmm, Okay. And that is, those two have been the main tools for economic development for local units of government ever since I passed them. 
Oh, that's interesting. Wow. And uh, the reason I found them is right before I went uh, to the Senate, I was a city councilman, and we were trying to get some money through bond issues uh, for uh, economic development, and we couldn't get any going. So I'm reading uh, a government magazine. It might have been government today. I don't even remember. And there's Tiffin Abatement in the state of California. So I had my administrative assistant get those bills from California, and I passed Tiffin Abatement. And we've had it ever since. South Bend did the first uh, tax incremental financing district. Mishawaka did the the second, and we uh, had the friendly court case. We had the bus bus company sue us to declare the constitutionality because we were taking their money under TIF, you know. Yeah. And right along with that, I passed foreign trade zone for my area. Two of my favorites are just small little pieces of crap, ID cards for non-drivers. Hmm. Poison hotline. Never had a poison hotline. Uh, foreign trade zone. I passed a bill to protect homing pigeons. Another one of my good bills because my Belgian constituents raced homing pigeons. Oh, okay. And they resemble doves. Yeah. And some of them have pigeons worth $5,000. Jeez. Wow. And pe- people were shooting them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so Poison Hotline was good. Uh, I, I I don't know what else. Uh, education for all handicapped, 94-142. Bring Indiana. <coughs> bring Indiana in compliance with the federal statute. Now, police and fire pension reform in 1977 was a big was a big bill. Uh, the cost for police and fire pensions was killing cities, and that made them actuarially sound. That was not my bill, but I was the conference committee uh, signee for the Senate Democrats. Merton Stanley had that bill, and Merton Stanley shepherded that bill a long way. And when we went in the majority, he became uh, uh, our budget guy and uh, Bob Ferris said, Kovach, you know, police and fire pension, you're going on the conference committee, and if you don't pass it, I'm going to kick your butt. But it passed. So hmm. uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I could go to my list and, and dig out a lot of those bills. Uh, some of them, uh, oh, uh, another one was uh, a resolution to put coho and chinook salmon in the St. Joe River. Interesting, okay. Yeah, resolution 77-1977. Bodine and I uh, worked with Joe Cloud, who was the head of the Department of Natural Resources. Now, Joe Cloud was uh, Doc Bowen's buddy. Joe Cloud was a state rep from Richmond. He served while Bodine was there, and uh, we needed those fish coming out of Lake Michigan down the 
down the river, but they had to start in the river so they could come back, you know. Yeah. And, and, so, and so we put them in, and uh, it's been a successful program. We now have a hatchery. They named it after Bodine, and people asked me, well, you, you were instrumental in that too. I see that, but he died first. Hmm, okay. They, they, you didn't find that funny, huh? <laughs> They named it after you. That's okay. <laughs> uh, and then the rest of that story is, uh, which I think is great about serving in the General Assembly, when I was mayor, I put in fish ladders over the dam with viewing chambers. You can go down in the, uh, the ground and there are glass viewing chambers, and you can watch those fish come up the ladder to get over the dam. Wow, okay. And uh, we do get fishermen uh, from all over the country because the only place you can catch them is out of uh, the Great Lakes or Washington and Oregon. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I have I have lots of bills here that I'm proud of, but I'd have to go to that thing from the legislative service agency and look at it. Uh, I don't know. Right. Yeah, no. now, I, I, I wanted to get to to my pearls. Uh, I guess I got to most of them. Okay. Uh, what else you got? Uh, so. You've told me about a lot of different bills that you worked on. Uh, what was your proudest moment as a legislator overall? Oh, hell, I don't know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, throwing ABC television off the Senate floor during the Equal Rights Amendment. Oh, <laughs> <No>. What? <laughs> huh? Wait. Well, you, you, you've been in the Senate chambers, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, that little bit placed in the back... Uh-huh. For, for television? Yeah. Now, now, when you're doing the Equal Rights Amendment, how many television people you think you can get in there? Uh, probably not many. Not many. ABC television sat up in the aisle right in the middle of the chamber between the two parties. Yeah. My buddy Joe Harrison comes. He said, Kovacs, this ain't going to work. My people don't want them there. I said, Joe, you sure you don't want them there because you're going to vote no? You don't want the rest of the world to see your vote no? He says, my people don't want them there, and you're in charge. You're running this chamber. I said, I'll take care of it, Joe. So I go over there, and I tell the cameraman, I said, you can't sit up here. And I said, I know there is an adequate room back there, but you got to tear this down and get out of there. So he doesn't make a move. I walk away and give him about five minutes. I come back and he's not making a move. I said, sir, I requested politely that you get this camera out of here. He said, well, I got a union problem. I can't tear it down. I said, well, I don't have a union problem. And I start tearing it down. And all of a sudden he could tear it down because he didn't want me damaging his his equipment. Yeah. That was interesting. I don't think that was my finest moment by uh, by any means. Uh, but I, I, I had some bills that helped uh, locally. I had some bills that had some statewide uh, 
implications. Uh, I had uh, situations that uh, spilled over to after uh, I was a, a senator. I do want to tell you the one about Adam Benjamin, okay? Sure. Adam Benjamin uh, was probably one of the better legislators ever to serve, just as Dick Bodine was one of the better uh, speakers to ever serve, as was Birch By and uh, Guthrie and Bowen, two and two. But anyway, Adam Benjamin got elected to Congress. And he needed a tow road interchange at Klein Avenue. You know, the, the one that the Spaniards and the Australians purchased? Yeah. Okay. Mishawaka did not have an interchange. And Klein Avenue did not have an interchange. So I knew Adam was going to go to Congress and going to amend uh, the Federal Highway uh, Trust thing. Uh, so they could participate in interchange for Klein Avenue. I said, well, I need one at Mishawaka. He said, well, I'll put yours in, too, if you get your congressman, who was John Bradamus, who was number three in the Democrats. So I called up John, and I said, you know, Adam's coming. He said, yep, I look forward to it. I said, you know, I've been serving with Adam. Yep, I know that. I says, he's going to ask for an interchange on Klein Avenue. He said, yeah. I says, can you get me one on Mishawaka, at Mishawaka? He's hemming and hawing. He didn't answer. I said, yeah, I'm going to let a freshman ace you, are you? <laughs> so I got my interchange. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was no small feat. Yeah. Now, the rest of the story is, the rest of the story is, the woman I beat for bear, she couldn't get an interchange. But when it's open, and this is the kind of person I am, I'm sort of low profile when it comes to fluff. I don't like fluff. They give her ticket number one on a, on a plaque like this. She had nothing to do with it. And they give me ticket number two which I don't even have. I don't know what happened to it. But, you know, these, uh, the political ramifications, I mean, they're, they're amazing. I never dealt in fluff, but I don't think I have a plaque left from all the, yeah. all the time. <laughs> Oops. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I thought I lost you. No, no, no. You want me to dig out the rest of my bills or what? I mean, if you if you think that there's something like you know really interesting that you haven't mentioned yet, you're welcome to. But either way, well, there there, there probably is. Can you bear with me while yeah. I look? Yeah, not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, okay, I'll I'm trying to find it here. Oh, I got some some pearls while I'm looking. Uh, one time, uh, I used to keep track of when people went to the microphone, and there was one guy who went to the microphone and says, I have some facts for your heads, which are concrete. 
Hmm. Not the facts, concrete. Yeah. Your head's concrete. Wow. You, uh, did you hear about Earl Wilson? Nope. I can't tell you about Earl Wilson. Earl Wilson served 22 years. I think he was from Bedford. He served 22 years in Congress, and then he came to the Indiana Senate. And he was an interesting fellow. You ought to check on Earl Wilson. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, here's one of my better bills. Alcoholic beverages. Private clubs may sell one Sunday per month. Now, remember I told you the two Dago clubs and the Belgian club? Yep. My constituents. Yeah. Uh, here's the poison hotline. Oh, here's a good one I had uh, for motorists stopping on school buses. I strengthened that and I put in the option on a divided highway because the state troopers were telling me it was on the divided highway. These people were running automatically and the bus drivers didn't know how to respond. We had to do it one way or the other. So... Uh, Here's the one on nursing students I told you about. This is all 77. Driver ID card, uh, oh, juvenile court referees, increase in pay. Uh, cities can pay, use tax money for membership in educational and civic association. See, some of the stuff that I encountered when I was a local person. Hmm, okay. Sheriff's processing fees, part of it goes to their pension. Nah. The big ones, the big ones, the big ones are TIF, abatement. They're still around now. Uh, some highway money stuff I did. Uh, I think the fish is, is big. I mean, I, I had my, I humbly suggest I had my share. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what else you got? Uh, what would you say is the was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome during your time in office? Well, I don't know that I had. Okay, well, that's not bad. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's not a bad thing if you didn't have any. <laughs> I don't think I had uh, a, a lot of hurdles. I mean, yeah. uh, my mother-in-law helped me with the kids. My mother helped me with the kids. I mean... Uh, I, I don't think I had it. Okay. I really don't. I mean, uh, those four years were some of the best four years of my life. Yeah, that's great. Did anybody else tell you that? Um, I mean, some people had, I guess, some hurdles, but uh, it just kind of pins. Um, no, no, I'm talking about good years. Oh, yeah, I think most people I've talked to, you know, talk about how happy they were to be a part of it and stuff. I think there are only maybe like one or two people that kind of felt like they didn't leave on a good note and they just felt like the, the general assembly had changed too much and they didn't think it was fun anymore. And Well, th those are probably the later guys. Yeah. I mean, nobody wanted to leave. Now, some of them did that want to leave, but I can't think of any, but I don't think many, I didn't want to leave or I wouldn't have run again. Yeah. You know? uh, but the voters told me I had to leave, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, 
And right afterward, I got another election because I I didn't want to re- be remembered in politics as a uh, as a loser. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I won, and uh, I didn't, didn't run for re-election as mayor because my wife was sick, and she subsequently died. And I went back to teaching school, and, you know, Frank and, and Evan got elected. Like I said, they asked me to come down and help them transition, which I was honored to do. Yeah. And I came down and spent two weeks helping them transition, and they offered me that job. I didn't take it. And then Evan said, uh, uh, come and do the Senate for me. And I did the Senate. It was a short session. I was prepared to come home. I went as a contract player, not as a staff person. And then uh, Governor or Lieutenant Governor O'Bannon says, you're going to go run the Department of Commerce. I said, no, all due respect, I'm going home. He said, no, 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 you're going to run the Department of Commerce. So I went over and ran the Department of Commerce. And when he decided he uh, was going to run for governor, he, uh, Bill Schreiber and I went into his office as executive assistants. And uh, Schreiber died on us, damn it. And... Uh, uh, then when he got elected, I was his legislative director. Now, when I left, uh, I went to work for Ivy Tech on a statewide basis doing economic development. And I came home and, and put my ass in my lazy boy and they <laughs> came and got me out and made me a county commissioner and the worst job I ever had. And uh, now I'm... Uh, Still dabbling in some stuff, but not politics. But there is one other part to this story. I did run for the legislature again. I ran against Jackie Walorski. You familiar with that name? Jackie? Um, I don't think so, actually. She's a congresswoman. She just won her fifth term. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I ran, I ran against her in the House District. Now, I'm going to tell you this story at great length because it has to be told to be understood. Okay. I ran against her in a 62% district. Can you homogenize that? 62% district. Wow. Yes. 24 precincts in St. Joe County, and this is why I'm not enamored with Elkhart. 24 precincts in Elkhart County. Of the 24 precincts in St. Joe County, not a one, zero, zilch, not a one is a Democrat precinct. I won 21 out of 24 in St. Joe County. I, and I got about a 350 vote margin going into Elkhart County. I start downtown Elkhart and start going to the hitherlands. And when I get to Napanee, I get 29% of the vote. Oh, wow. 29% of the vote. <laughs> and I lose. Yeah. I lose by 900 votes. And I cut her margin to 52% from 62 and I forced her to pay over $400,000. Wow. <laughs> I had fun, 
but it wasn't it wasn't my goal to have fun. Yeah. My goal was to beat her and <laughs> get back to the legislature as an old man, you know. No, yeah. But I really wanted to beat her, but uh, no, that's it. I don't know what else I want to tell you. I got a whole bunch of notes here, but you don't you don't want to hear it. We've been at it a long time. I have a few more kind of big picture questions if you have time, and then we can wrap it up if you want. But uh... all right, give me the big picture questions. Okay. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? The most important work of the Indiana. General Assembly is to try to find some balance to meet the needs and the requirements of a diverse state. Okay. Uh, what lessons, if any, did you learn? What, what? What lessons, if any, did you learn? Well, the biggest lesson I learned was that most of the people there, the vast majority, 99.44%, are people of their word, and you better be a person of your word to survive down there. Now, only one time, one time, I gave my word, and I got additional information that just wouldn't permit me to vote the way I said I would. And I went to the person to whom I gave my word, and I says, I would like to change my vote, but if you hold me to my word, I'll do it. And that person said, no, I'm going to let you go. And uh, when I worked for the governor doing legislative work, the lobbyists lied to me more than the elected officials. Interesting. Not interesting. Not interesting. Sinful. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Uh, know what you don't know and Utilize what you do know and cabbage on to somebody and get smart quick or you're not going to be a contributor. It's easy to sit in the back row, but, uh, you know, there's more back rowers than, uh, than anything. And, and I think, you know, I've hit upon it. Yeah. I've hit upon it. Right. You, you, leadership moves the, the process. You got to know, uh, you got to know what you you don't know. If you act like you know it, you're, you're getting in trouble. How has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? How has it changed? Yeah. Uh, it's gone from a significant uh, player in manufacturing toward technology and, and, and bio chemistry it's gone to more corporate farms than uh, individual farms and I don't think we have adapted adequately to the people who are left behind or diminished by these changes yeah 
Is that profound enough? Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> How has the Indiana General Assembly changed? I, I can't answer that. Uh, I haven't been there in, in 20, 20 years. Yeah. But I did notice, I did notice a change when Evan and Frank got elected. Some of the people uh, who were easy to get along with were no longer easy to get along with. But remember, I said Bob Garten was an, uh, a good guy to get along with. Yeah. Uh, because they they didn't think it would happen or it was during their tenure. If you stop and think, it, it went in a 24, 20-year cycle. You had Whitcomb for one term. Um, my math's no good. Yeah, 8, 16, 20. Yeah, 2016 cycle. You had Whitcomb for one term because he was term limited. You had Bowen for two terms, and then you had Orr for two terms, and then you had uh, By, and then you had O'Bannon Kernan. So you had 2016. Now you're in that next cycle. But the way it looks, you know, it may, that cycle may be eclipsed. So I, I think that's, that is what changed. I, I think and part of that change is people are coming from Ohio and Kentucky uh, across the line in southern Indiana. Southern Indiana used to be more predominantly uh, two-party, but it's not, not that way much anymore. Yeah. So, and I think... Uh, there is some shift. I'm not an expert in political parties. I've never, never dabbled in it. Never been a precinct person. They've asked me if I wanted to be state chairman a couple of times. I said, who would want that job? But uh, I think the, the Democrat Party is changing. Okay. So do you think politics as a whole has changed quite a bit in Indiana then? Yeah, well... Yeah, I think uh, the river folks have deserted us, and uh, I'm not going to get into it. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think the politics have have changed. Let me let me put it this way: I think the the politics have changed in for this period and a specific time change. Whether it's permanent and lasting, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Is that an honest answer? Can you live with that? Yeah, yeah. What if any enduring qualities do Hoosers still have or hold dear? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I think uh, uh, most of them are as honest as the day is long. Uh, I think uh, they love basketball. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't know what else. I, I can't. I can't answer questions like that. <laughs> All right, last one. Um, last one. Yeah. 
What do you want Hoosiers to know about their role in relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? Become better informed, please. <laughs> yeah, that's probably good advice, yeah. And if you need a follow-up on anything, uh, feel free to call. All right, sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this good again. Luck. Good luck to you. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.